Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Well, welcome to One and All. It's so great to have everybody here this morning. I want to teach this morning on the next segment in our Grace series. This concerns humility. This is, I think, about session 18 in terms of our teaching, but it's really session 8 in terms of the topics we are exploring. Okay, And the, the topic for this particular session, which... We will probably do over three weeks because the Lord has really opened up my mind. I'm talking in recently, this this recent week, while we were ministering to the men in Akala, every night I would go to my room and I would study and uh, humility. The Lord was just opening up my mind to see how that which I regard now as the most important key to accessing grace, undoubtedly in my mind. The singular most important disposition that you could ever master to master to receive more grace is the disposition of being humble, being a humble person. Okay, and you will see why I say this as we go along. First Peter five five is our first text. First Peter five five, and I'm going to go systematically through this, but I want to cover it thoroughly. 1 Peter 5.5, 5. okay, 1 Peter 5.5, 5. you younger men likewise subject to your elders or be subject to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This must become one of your favorite grace scriptures speaks about subjection and humility of the younger to the older. Then it says, put on certain clothing. Clothe yourself with what? Dress with? Dress in humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Toward one another. Humility is often relational. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6, another verse of scripture. James chapter 4 and verse 6 says the following, but God or He gives a greater grace. Everyone say, a greater grace. If you're reading the King James and New King James, it says, but He gives more grace. I'll explain the difference when we, when we decode the verse later. I like this version. He gives a greater grace. He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the he gives grace to the humble. Both Peter and James are quoting an Old Testament scripture because they both say because it says. So where does it say what they are saying? They are quoting from Proverbs chapter three and verse thirty-four. Proverbs three and verse thirty-four says the following. It says, "For though he scoffs at the scoffers." Yet he gives grace to the humble. Right? 
Some versions say he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're reading in the Old Testament, just for those of you that are Bible students and you, are, you like to study word studies, the word afflicted is akin to humility in the Old Testament. Right? Same Hebrew words are, are used. So it is clear, the message. Can you not see the message? There's two positions. One is pride and the other is humility. God says in reference to the humble, I give you greater grace. God says in reference to the proud, I oppose you. Two different responses from God. Right? To the humble, you get greater grace. To the proud, I oppose you. That tells me that humility is the greatest recruiter of grace. If God sees it, God's attracted to it, and God offloads of himself, grace. Pride, on the other hand, pushes grace away and unearths something in God that turns his heart because God is kind, God is generous, God is benevolent, not so. God is gracious, not so. He's not the essence of God, grace. But there's something that provokes God to act in antithesis, oppositely to the very core of his being. He wants to help. He wants to, to come forth. But when God sees pride in the earth, it like wells up something in God where he literally positions himself in opposition to you. Who would like God to oppose you? Anybody here? I would never want God to actively oppose me. Then you are in serious trouble. <laughs> then you are in serious trouble. So grace or humility is a grace receiver, but pride is a grace repellent. Grace is attracted to humility, but grace always bypasses the proud. Okay? Next week, if we get there, depending on how we go today, next week, I have, the Lord has unveiled my mind because I had to repent before God of my own pride while studying this. Right? We generally don't admit to our pride. We think we are humble. No, no proud man will readily admit to his pride. Right? In fact, when you say, I don't have pride, maybe that's your statement suggests that you do have it. So while I was studying, it was like the Holy Spirit shone his light over areas and I delineated or listed. Right now, it's 27 expressions of pride. You see, you've got to have yardsticks. Or to isolate a thing. The thing manifests. So behavioral patterns or attitudes will give evidence that the thing exists within you. Well, we'll do that later. Okay, we'll do that later. For now, I want to talk about the anatomy of humility. I want to talk about what is it that God apprises. What is the structure of this thing called humility? Why is it so attractive to God? And why is it so important to Him? Now, tell your neighbor, God is scanning the earth. Huh? God is constantly looking out to the earth. It's like the, the, the eyes of the Lord are purveying and surveying the earth. I want to give you a few scriptures in reference to this. Now, I want you to follow me, okay? You must be vigilant mentally this morning. You must be alive in your spirit, and you must fully participate in what God wants to download and offload to our hearts this morning. Proverbs says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the good and the bad. Do you think there's ever a time when something escapes the view of God? Never. Say every place. Every place. 
The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the affairs of men. Job 31.4, Job 31.4, Job says this, does, not his, does he not see my ways and number all of my steps? All of your ways, all your behaviors, your attitudes, even the deep thoughts of your, the hiddenness that you think is in the mind, God is able to, to know what, what is going on there. So Job is confident there's nothing within me that I can bluff God with. I can bluff a whole lot of men, but only God is the one that can really, before whom I stand transparent, so with whom then I do not need to pretend. If I attempt to pretend with God, He will suss me out just like that. Right? I can fool people, but I can't fool God. Job says He knows all of my ways. Does He not see my ways? Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10, um, the last part of verse 10, says the following, the, These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout or throughout the whole earth. These seven, speaking about the seven spirits of the eyes, the seven spirits of God, it says they range throughout the, the whole earth. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6 says the following. Listen carefully. And I saw between the throne with four living creatures and the elders of the Lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, we'll talk about the seven spirits of God later in the series. Because that is how grace comes. Comes by the spirit of grace into the earth. Notice where are the seven spirits of God? By the way, there's no seven spirits. There's one Holy Ghost with seven emanations or expressions. Okay? So, the seven spirits of God, where are they sent? They are sent into? It's like, the spirit comes. Seven spirits sent into all the earth. And Zechariah calls them the seven eyes of the Lord. So there's literally nothing in the earth that escapes God's view. Man can think we can hide from him. But there's nothing that the eye and the spirit of the Lord will not bring to the fore. In fact, the Bible says the hidden things of shame performed in darkness will be revealed by the light. Right? Said in secret but it will be shouted from the rooftop one day. This should encourage us to live absolutely transparent lives. Don't sin in the dark because the light of God will expose it. Don't try to cut corners, hide, etc. Because God's eye does not escape anything. Amen? Hallelujah? Don't crook the tax man because God sees that. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Be honorable in all your dealings with all men. Okay? Don't lie, don't cheat, don't gossip, don't misrepresent anything. Just be honest and be sincere. In all of your life, you must know this. Please, this is a very good principle to, to have in your life. The eye of the Lord is upon me. Right? And He's here to scan, He's here to test my heart. John 4, 23 says that they that worship, the hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers shall worship the... Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is what? He's seeking. Everyone say, the Father seeks. 
Father's looking. I like this text. He's looking. He's scanning. He's looking for true worshippers. God doesn't want worship. He wants people. He wants worshippers. Right? Not the act of worship. He wants the person who by his life of obedience has become the embodiment of worship. Anybody can give a postural worship, can can postulate in terms of actions and demonstrations that you are worshipping, but the life of worship is what God is looking for. He's not seeking the act of worship. He's seeking people. He's seeking worshippers. Tell your neighbor, God is looking for you. <laughs> God is looking for you. Okay? God is looking for you. You know, I, this when I was studying it, it's like God is saying to me, I'm scanning you constantly, Randolph. There's not one moment where you're not being scanned by my eye. Watching you not for to reveal. Listen carefully. The watch of the Lord, the view or the purview of God upon men, is not to show them or to embarrass them so much as in to unearth the wickedness or the depravity in man. The look of God is to, is to show up the good in the man to which God is attracted towards. But generally, when the light comes, it will expose your weakness that you must deal with. I'm saying this lest you think. I walk out of these doors and Randolph said to me, God is constantly watching. Oh, I better be careful. No, I'm saying because he is watching, develop the positive disposition within your life to which God will be attracted. Right? To which he will naturally be drawn. Because if he sees pride there, what does he say? I oppose you. But if he sees something akin or like to himself in humility, he says, I will come. Right? He's looking for worshippers. True worshippers. So he's more looking for the thing that is most like himself. Now, I want to encourage you today. You have more going for you than against you. There's more like God in you than not like God in you. Yeah? God is happy with you, I think. I speak prophetically over this particular house and the people here because I know you fairly well, including our visitors by the Spirit. I declare to you that God is more happy with most things about you. And He's attracted towards that. And the view of God, the eye of the Lord, for this particular segment of our teachings, is wanting to foster humility in men. You know, I feel so strongly about this humility thing. For me, like I said, it's becoming the key. It's becoming the key that opens the doorway to great, humi- great grace. Mm. Hallelujah. Great grace will issue forth from the heart of the man that is humble before the Lord. Okay? Humble before the Lord. Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9 says the following. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support Those whose heart is completely His. Those whose heart is completely His. Ask your neighbor, is your heart completely His? Says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the face of the whole earth. Again, what is the intention of God behind the scan of the earth? Right? Is it to show up the negative? It's more to highlight the positive. Because it says his eyes run to and fro over the whole earth 
to show himself strong to those whose hearts, King James says, which are perfect toward him, or to those whose hearts are completely his. Remember Caleb and Joshua, the, the two spies that had the good report? What was God's testimony about Caleb consistently? He says, he wholly followed me. He followed me with all his heart. His heart was completely mine. Amen. So this text highlights again the intention of God behind the scan of the heart of men upon the earth is literally to find something commendable in men to which he can be attracted to. Because the nearness of God will always help you deal with your deficiency when he comes near. It's not for judgment. Right? Yes, if you read this context, you must read the whole of Second Chronicles 16. This king is judged because he acted foolishly in not keeping his heart completely pure before the Lord. And I want to go into that historical context now. A verse that I really like, which I want you to learn, memorize, is Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 1 and 2. Isaiah 66 verse 1 and 2. This is an amazing text. Wow. I, when I think about it, I've meditated upon this verse the entire week in the evenings. It just blew me away. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where then is the house that you can build for me? And where is the place that I might rest? For my hands have made these things. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Now, just stop there before you read. What is God saying? He's literally saying, I made everything. I made the heavens. And He's saying, the heavens cannot receive all of me. How can that which is created contain the Creator? Where was God before He made heaven and earth? So heaven itself cannot contain him. Heaven is not God's home. Heaven is God's throne. It's not a place to, in, to, to, in which God inhabits. It's a place from which God expedites his purposes on the earth. Let your will be done in, in, on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Heaven is his throne. From a throne you rule. You expedite purpose. Okay? So, even when Solomon dedicated his temple, remember? God said this, the heavens, plural, more than one, even the highest of the heavens cannot contain me. Right? So, how can you build me a house? Remember Solomon wanted to build him a house? How can you build, think of the idea of building me a house for me to inhabit? Right? So, the, the text highlights the virtual impossibility of any earthly structure, like in Solomon's time, or even the thing, heaven, that God made himself to contain all of who God is. Right? Now you know that nothing can contain the fullness of God naturally. Right? Is God big? Answer me, yes, no. Is he a big God? Huh? Is he vast? The vastness of God is so large, it's beyond human comprehension. In fact, there's a scripture in Colossians which says that God fills all in all. Right? He fills everything. He fills everything. Right? 
Sam says to understand God, it would be necessary to go outside of God to behold Him. But if He fills everything, it's impossible to go outside of anything to see God because wherever you are, He will fill that space. It's like when you analyze something in a laboratory. You analyze this water. You put the water there, you stand an observer, subject that to analysis, so to ask and to understand the thing. You can't do that to God. You can't say, that's why mankind, in his limited comprehension, cannot observe God to observe a thing. You must stand apart from it to understand it. But if God fills all in all, every space, every nook, every cranny, every created order, wherever you are, he will envelop. You know what David said? Where can I go from your presence? If I go to the highest heights, he said, you are there. If I go to the deepest depths, you are there. He said this, even if I make my bed in hell, there you will find me. Like the song we sang, your grace finds me. It's like God is too big. But you know the marvelous thing about this text? Everyone say, but. The word but, in grammatical use in English, cancels the force of what has just been said. Like when your husbands and wives fight. Honey, I am sorry, but you say. The moment you say, but, you cancel the apology. right? So in, the, in English grammatical usage, the word but cancels either the truth or the force of the prior statement. So, here God's saying, hey, the heavens can't contain me. How can you build a house to, in which I can fill all in? But there's a big but here. This is a big but, right? God says, but, I love this, but to this one will I look. To him who is what? To him who is humble and of a contrite spirit and who was. He, he trembles at what? At my word. God is saying, if you have a humility about you, contrition in your spirit. Everyone say in your spirit. Right? It's not just a mental thing. Your soul. It's in the fabric of who you are. In your spirit. And if you have a high esteem and a reverence for my speaking, my word, then God says, what the heavens cannot contain, a humble man will be able to retain. Of all that I represent in terms of my godness. I can't fill heaven, but I can definitely fill a humble heart. Heaven cannot contain all that I, uh, that I am. But if I find humility as I scan the earth, if I find humility in the earth, there I will elect, I will choose to locate the fullness of all that I represent. Okay? So, tell you never make your heart God's home. But God is looking for humility. You know, these words jumped out at me as I studied them. But, this simple statement, but to this one. <laughs> but to this one will I? Everyone put your binoculars on. Let's do this. God is like scanning the earth, seven spirits in the earth. God finds a humble man in Gabaron, Botswana. God says, wow, I've scanned the earth. I see pride express itself. Yeah, they're everywhere. God says, I found something like, like a magnet. I'm just like, wow, I'm pulled towards that. And I'm going to flood this heart, this country, 
This one who references my speaking and my word, I'm going to flood that with all that heaven cannot contain. If you truly understand, just take this reference down. There's a reference in Jeremiah 3, 15 and onwards. That don't turn to it, I'll just reference it. It speaks to how that Jerusalem becomes the throne of God and they no more seek for the Ark of the Covenants for people have become the Ark. Right? Who's, who's Jerusalem? You and I, the new Jerusalem. So it says, you have become the throne. So the throne, which is heaven, now shifts to a people. So God wants a heart disposition from which you can rule the earth. Okay? So your heart is not just the home of God. Your heart is the throne of God. The place from which God will rule the earth in and through your life. Everyone say, look. The word is nabat in Hebrew. To this one will I look. It literally means the following. To look intensely, to look with intensity in a very focused way. I like the meaning. When God says, it's not like you just catch God's attention. Eh? This is not a cursory, casual glance. This is no glance. This is an intentional, focused, concentrated look of the Lord. You've recruited His eye and His eye scanning the earth to see, to show Himself strong to those hearts who are perfect toward Him. Right? I was amazed in studying this word now, but in Scripture, it is used of the keen observations that eagles have from extremely high altitudes, but they can spot a little rat under a tree. And yet this, this eagle is hundreds and hundreds of meters way up. You know, if you heard the term eagle eye? In Psalm 92 and others, this word nabat is used to describe how an eagle has this intense focus view. It's able to catch from high altitudes small movements of the smallest rodents. That's how God looks at you. A little expression of humility will recruit a floodgate, a download of Godness to you. Amen? Tell your neighbor, God's watching you. Now, we don't say that like he's, like he's inspecting you. No, he's not judgmental. Now we, we're changing our take on these things. God is wanting to find the attractive thing within you. Amen? God loves humility. All of our young people, if there's something I can, you are still yet young. You are yet young. There's something I can impress upon your spirit as you go through life. Whether God is using you and you're succeeding and you're better than most in whatever field God has called you to, always just keep, do not let pride enter. Just stay humble. The more humble you are, the more grace God will dispense to you. Not just more grace, it's called a greater grace. I'll talk more about that maybe next week. It's called a greater grace. He will offload it to you. you will, God will locate himself within the humble heart. Amen. Isaiah 57, just one more in reference to the scan of the Lord, uh, the look of the Lord upon the earth, looking for humility in men. Isaiah 54 and verse, sorry, 57 and verse 14 and 15. 57 verse 14 and 15. It will be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. That's an apostolic task. 
And I love this verse, eh? Do you have obstacles in your life? I think we all do of some degree. God is intent in the season. I'm going to take away everything that hinders. Everything that's preventing the fullness of my grace from flooding your life. So God is saying, build up, prepare, build the, highway, the highways, take every obstacle out of my people. Verse, the next verse says, for thus says the high, notice how God describes himself. He's high and he's exalted, right? He's high and he's exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place. And also with who? With the contrite and the lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lonely, of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Amazing scripture. I dwell with the lowly to do what? They will attract my attention because I will come to them and I will bring revival, breath, fresh air, refreshment, revitalization. The word revive, all sorts of meanings there. Uh, come and re-energize. You'll feel like a second breath. You'll feel this revival. God says, that is grace, not so. When grace comes to you, it energizes your efforts in God. Amen? Who needs a personal revival? Never mind corporate revival. You need a revival right there where you are personally in your home. Everyone say the breath of God. I'm so glad for the Holy Ghost. Who loves the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. He's your friend. When he is present with you, maintain this disposition. There's a lovely text in Acts 5.32, I think it is, where it says he's given the Holy Spirit to everyone that obeys him. He's given the Holy Spirit to everyone that obeys him. Keep your heart pure. Keep it humble. Keep obedient. The Holy Spirit will always attend you. Amen? Breathe on me, breath of God. Who remembers that hymn? Dr. Elijah put it on his Facebook program, profile in the week. And he put all three stanzas there. And I remember learning this when I was part of a choir. The breath of God will always attend the humble. Will always attend the lowly. Now, I need to explain something. Isaiah 66 says, To this man will I look. He who is humble and of lowly heart. Heaven cannot contain me, but to this man will I look, and I will come and flood this man with the profundity or the wealth of my presence. The word man, because, listen carefully, no one single human can fully contain all that there is to God. So obviously the reference to man is a corporate man. It's only the corporate man, the body of Christ, that contained the fullness of all that God represents. That tells me that humility is both personal and corporate. Both personal and corporate. I want to urge you, church, I want to beg of you, deal with any semblance or trace of pride in your life. Deal with it today. Deal with it now. Sort it out. Humble your heart. Confess it if you have to. You must be humble personally, privately. So I mustn't harbor, listen carefully, any arrogance, any prejudice, any feeling of superiority within my heart towards anybody, anyone. I'll share with you later some keys of how to do this. But one key I'm employing right now is, the Bible says in Philippians, esteem everybody as better than yourselves. So I'm practicing this now. So you know when we, we into Nakala, you know we walk in, they usually, if they start singing, they don't wait for half past eight. 
They st- if everyone is there, they just start the meeting and they sing until we arrive. So usually when we arrive every morning, the whole, the whole hall is filled. Pastors were sitting in the aisle here. The aisle. Costa was, there are three leading pastors. The administrators and leaders of the, the whole ASIM. Costa is one of them. And um, one, one meeting, uh, there was no chair available. And this one pastor came in late and he came into the front door. And we already, I already started teaching. Costa gets up and he sits on the floor here. He says to the brother, come sit. This, now this is the organizer of the school. And when I saw this, I said, wow. You know what God taught me this week? I went years to teach. And we did teach. It was very profound. But God said, you're studying humility. I'm going to take you to a place to show you humility in action. Here's a big pastor. Got no issues, no problems. To give up his seat front row. Says to what seemed like, from all natural accounts, one far less in rank than himself. He said, come, take my seat. And he sat there for the rest with his Bible, taking notes on the floor, in the aisle, right in front of us. Humility in, in action. But do you know, it wasn't just him singularly. That spirit just pervaded the whole group. No wonder we had an open heaven. And God looked at these, this company. There's no one thinking I'm better than you. Although I'm the leader, I must get the best seat. Everyone is just humble, down to earth, right? So when I saw that the Holy Spirit said, start practicing this. So when we would walk in, and I would greet the brothers, we all greet, we walk into the aisles, hello. In my mind, I said to everyone, not verbally, I said this in my mind, you are better than me. How's it? Blue? My mind is saying, you are better than me. I elevate you above myself. You are better than Hi, so and so. I'm like, yeah, in my mind, you are better than me. You are better than me. You are better than me. I might be the speaker, but you are better than me. I have not come to be served. I have come to serve. I want to encourage you, unless, you know, it's so easy. I'll share with you later. There's a line between humility and pride. That line is like razor thin. It's so easy to get swallowed up into the wrong mindset. And you know that when you are there, God is in opposition to you. Grace passes you by. But if you maintain the humble disposition, God says, I will cause greater grace to always attend you. Don't be so you. <laughs> we, used to, we use a phrase, hoity-toity. I don't know if they use it today. Don't be so hoity-toity. You think you are big, but you're not humble and of servant disposition enough even to adopt and do the most menial of tasks. Like serving another one a cup of tea. You think you should be served, but you do the service. Hmm? Yeah? I was blessed by the expressions of humility there in Gaborone, in Quirbus' household. Great men, people of high rank in their fields, people of great success in their endeavors, but humble enough to do the most basic and the most menial of tasks. When God sees... Now, here's the thing. You see, humility must attend a person, but humility must also attend a people. Humility is private, but it's also, it must also be such an all-pervasive spirit within the community of God's people that when a visitor comes in, they mustn't just detect sporadic expressions of humility just here and there. 
it must be so all-pervasive, you walk into a culture of humility. That is my heart. That is what I'm after. And a culture of humility always seeks to help, always seeks to be of service to another. It never stands aloof from the task and say, let them do it. We'll just come in and enjoy the context. Humility positions itself to serve another. Amen? To serve another. So, tell you about corporate humility. Corporate humility for me now is a big thing. And it's amazing. I found this verse just yesterday. Zephaniah chapter 3 from verse 11. The second part of verse 11 and verse 12. Second part of verse 11 and verse 12. Right? Just from the, the session where it says in that day. Let's read the whole thing. In that day, I will feel no shame. Bec- so you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. You will feel no shame. For, because, God says, for then I will remove what from your midst? I will remove from your midst your proud and your exalting ones. And you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. Listen to what the Lord is saying. This is a prophecy for this house and for all who are listening via the audio recording. Listen carefully. God is saying, I am going to remove what from your midst. Everyone say midst. So the context is like a corporate setting. God says there's something in the midst that I want to expunge. I want to extract. I want to take something out of your midst. And he says, what is that? It's a spirit of pride. God calls it your proud and your exalting ones. And you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. You will never again smell the trace of pride within the community of God's people. And the next verse says, But I will leave among you a humble and a lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. This is a marvelous scripture. You know what the scripture tells me? God is intent on extracting every semblance of pride, not just from persons, but from people. Now listen carefully. You either live in the realm of removal, or you stay or you leave amongst those who remain in the realm of humility. I like the two images. God says, I'm going to remove some stuff, but some stuff will remain. Okay, both words start with R, remove, or remain. You're going to re- you will be removed. Please, this is a warning. You will be removed if after several warnings, you are stubborn and you still maintain a proudful stance. God says, listen carefully to this house. I'm speaking to you as a father. Listen carefully what God is saying. There's too much we have to do as a corporate house in the future. Too much. Right? There's too much responsibility that we have on our shoulder to steward for the city. God's going to use this house as a platform in and which through he will be able to beam his word to this city. To this city. To whom much is given... Much is, much is required. And you know, God said to me, Randolph, the thing that you need to do with your house, your people need to be far more humble than what they are. The humility levels need to be raised. The pride levels need to drop. Right? We are far too arrogant as a people. 
and I say this in love to all of us, there's too much pride, and pride is a mentality. Please know this. No proud people will ever steward great significant purposes of the Lord. You know, it's so also interesting that as God begins to use you or bless you, the tendency for pride is all the more um, increased. You have to deliberately charge and check yourself all the time, right? I'm writing a document on prejudice. I started it. It's about three or four pages now. Racism is obviously the most popular form of prejudice. But you, what does the word prejudice Prejudice is it's rooted in judging before. Pre means before. Judice means to judge. So you judge before. You already have an opinion about the other. And you put yourself above them and them below you. In a number of respects which we will discuss. And you're going to be amazed, brethren. Please now, don't not come back in the next few weeks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because God's going to literally, I had to repent. I'll be the first to stand in line and say, Lord, in that respect, there I was. Ooh, didn't even know I had pride. You know, you will see how that God, and this, this, when the Lord gave me this scripture, and the previous one, God said, remove every obstacle from my people. I charge you, Randolph, you remove the obstacles from the life of my people, because I am in this next phase of my dealings with them. I'm going to remove pride, so that humility, I like the remnant issue here. I will leave among you a humble and a lowly people. And they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. Amen? So can I encourage you? Who's going to commit to this already? Come on, you're not going to wait for the end of the service. Say, yes, I want to be part of a humble group. I don't want to be part of a proud, arrogant, exclusive people that they think that they are better than everybody. Please, I will encourage you, even as I teach, start to write down keys for your own life. I've given you one key already. You meet anybody in your mind, say, you are better than me. You are better than me. You sportsmen. There's Clayton and Luke and others here. And uh, Jaden and and, uh, uh, Joash. Guys are doing exceptionally well if you don't know the stories here. This man is chosen for the KZN, under 18, rugby, hockey. And the boys here, the Beru boys. They have a reputation of, of renown, already making a name for themselves in the chosen field. Lucas as well. Who else is sporty here? Seems that this house got a sporting anointing. Others of us are excelling in other fields, academically and otherwise. Right? Cambridge. Don't even use that name and think Cambridge. This is my son, I can talk to him like this. Don't even say Cambridge is above other systems of education. Yes, enjoy what you have. You're getting what, by all, by all accounts, would be something better, but you don't have pride in that. Never think I'm it. Everyone else is below me. The moment you go there, God says grace is going to pass you by. Even if God gives you the best of whatever, and you are skilled in whatever, and you, you're excelling better than most, do it because you must be a, a standard as, as a, an example I believe in this house, all you guys that are so successful, God is using you as a case study. He's showing forth what He's able to do through you. But you maintain your humility. Always keep yourself humble. You know, there are many sports stars, and maybe some of you will know them better than I do, but they were very good, eh? And then I see them in interviews. 
is the most humblest, the most quiet, the most composed individual. Whereas another would brag, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forget names, but you, you guys probably know better than I. I'm telling you, your humility is the key to great success. Right? In fact, uh, please know this. Any arrogance, any proud, God's going to resist in the season and He's going to expunge that from the corporate dwelling of the corporate house. Amen? Even the way you carry yourself. You know, look at some people. The Bible, I'll give you the references next week, but the Bible is such references as the pompous look. Hmm? You know, you know how the guys walk. <laughs> Hi, how are you? You know, it's like... Even the way, it's like the eyes up there, the chest is out, shoulders are back, head is up, and you look down on everyone. You're like, Father, my gosh. Just be normal. You know how much stress it takes to walk like that? How much effort? You are not in rest. Huh? You know, I often tease the guys at school when I was teaching. Some learners, you open your door, and they, they, you know, they drag their feet, some of the children. Huh? You know, that is more effort than just walking normally. It's more effort to do this. What about the gangsters, you know? You know how much effort this is to do this all the time? That's like hectic pressure to maintain that culture. Huh? You know, we got all of these, and you know all of these things are simply physical indications of a proud heart, of a heart of pride. But humility is actually so effortless. Just be normal, be simple, be sincere, and see how grace will start attending you. Some of you are already repenting in your heart, I can see, of issues. Quick, repent quickly, it's good. Amen. It's good. But know this, as you soften and quieten your heart and say, God, forgive me. If I've expressed any form of pride over another, please forgive me. Because now I'm going to enter into rest. I'll just be myself. I will not try to be whom you have not made me to be in Christ. I will be your son in the earth. Jesus said, come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden and I will do it. I will give you rest. He says, learn of me for I am what? He says, I am humble and I am lowly in heart. If anyone you must emulate, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to look into his example in great detail because he for me is the epitome of humility. If ever you want a humble man, it's Jesus. Other good examples are Moses, because the Bible says in his time, there was not another more humble man on the whole earth than Moses. Another example is Paul. Paul called himself, if anyone is an apostle, he said, call me the least of all of them. He said, I'm the least of all the apostles. He says, sinners? He said, put me at the top. I'm the chief of all sinners. Right? What humility. Hmm? So always manage, manage your heart. Now, um, put that image of the helipad on the screen. You know what a helipad is? Have you seen this image? A helipad? A helipad is a designated landing spot for helicopters. It's called a helipad. It's found usually at airports. So a helicopter landing at an airport can't just land anywhere. It looks for the helipad that it can alight upon. It's also found at the top of high-rise buildings. The top of the building, if ever a, a helicopter wants to land, some buildings, not all of them, will have a helipad. Not so? It's found in most hospitals. 
anywhere either on top or around the hospital, you'll have a helipad. Even on some ocean liners, the larger ones, especially cargo or ships involved in warfare, you'll have a designated helipad for the helicopter to, to land. Right? When I saw this, when I was busy studying how God is attracted to humility, and the Lord gave me this image. God said, just like as a helicopter looks for a landing spot, God is looking for a humility pad. Not a helipad. He's looking for a humility pad. Okay? I think it's Caleb who you saw this image. We're putting up this before the service. He said something, oh, whose heart is this? Everyone say heart. Right? The heart must be humble. Like all start with H. The heart must be humble. It must be a, an ideal landing spot for grace. God is gracious. He's like an eagle scanning the earth from the heavens, looking. Do you know most helipads are yellow or green? Apparently, I did some research, these two colors are most visible from large altitudes in the sky. So the pilot, unfamiliar with a particular geographical setting, he will be able to see this H from way up. It's a landing spot. God is high and lifted up, the exalted one. But he's able, his eye will catch humility. And where he sees humility, it's a pad on which he will alight. Right? It's attractive to him. If you maintain your pride, this will be hospital for you. <laughs> it won't. Okay. Then you can interpret this as all hospital. Okay. So I want to encourage you, don't, don't maintain the pride. Uh, some helipads have two figures. Some helipads are just like this. But some have two numbers, either above the age or below the age or on either side of the age. And the one number indicates the maximum weight of the craft that can land on it. Right? And the other indicates the length of the rotor. You know the, the rotor? The diameter of the rotor that can accommodate, it can accommodate. Because sometimes it's surrounded by other buildings. So the, the pilot will, and these numbers are very big and bold, the pilot would see from a distance whether the craft can land. The Lord spoke to me. God was saying to me, I want some, I have a heavy weight of grace to give to you. But the landing spot must be able to receive and contain this. So the, the solution is the depth and the sincerity of the humility of your heart will determine the quantum and the quality of grace you are able to receive. Grace comes to all humble hearts. But greater grace comes to the heart that is humble, genuinely, and to greater depth. To be able to receive the weight of grace, humility must be forged in a significantly profound way. Ask your neighbor, how's your humility pad? Leave this building and have a humility week. Humility for the life of this church for the next three or four weeks is going to be a focus. I'm not going to rush this thing. I'm going to take my time. Be humble. Don't attract unnecessary attention to yourself. Right? Stop all of that. Just stop all of that. Live in life saying, I'm going to be like the Lord, humble of, dis of humble heart, of humble disposition. Do you know the Bible says of Jesus, he humbled himself, what does it say? And he became oh. Obedient even unto the death of the cross. I like that, that phrasing. 
He, became hum he humbled himself and became obedient. Nobody becomes obedient without first mastering humility. Let me just say this as we close. When Jesus was between 12 and 2 and 12, child by biblical terms, the Bible says the grace of God was on him. Luke 2.40. When he chose to subject himself, remember to Mary Ann? Joseph, he bowed himself. What's that? Humility? For 18 years, from 12 to 18, he did that. Where did he go? Where did he live? What was Jesus' town where he grew up? Nazareth. The Bible says he went down to Nazareth. Tell you, never go down. <laughs> he went down to Nazareth. Right? Nazareth means separated, preserved, purified, sanctified. God wants to deal with some things within you. At 30, he emerges, baptized by John. Again, what does he do? Submits himself to John. Lowly man, they say. Bows low. The father says, my son in whom I am. It's only at 30 when John writes in John 1.14, does John say of Jesus, we beheld his glory, full of grace. No man gets to the place called full of grace. For Jesus, there are three terms describing his grace content. Luke 2.40, grace was on him. From 12 to 18, the Bible says, and he increased in grace. Everyone say increase in grace. By 30, what is he? Full. Nobody gets too full of grace overnight. But the key in Jesus' life consistently, I have no problems putting on a servant's cloth and washing everybody's feet. No problems doing that. Peter was even problematic with that. Humble myself. No problem. In fact, the key for Jesus' life and authority was his humility. You want full of grace? Who wants full of grace? Grace in its fullest measure be yours. Maintain your disposition of lowliness of heart, of spirit, and of mind. Amen. Humility is first a heart condition before it's a mental condition. It's first humility of the heart or the spirit before it's humility of the mind. And I'll, I'll explain that, that whole how it works from the scriptures next week. But let's lift up our hands before the Lord. Bow your hearts with me in prayer. Bow your hearts with me in prayer. As we pray, may I encourage you, take all attention off yourself. Take all attention off yourself. Say to the Father, you live in the heavens, even the heaven can't contain you. But you want to come and vest yourself and locate yourself in the heart of a corporate man. I want to pray for us individually and I'll pray corporately. Let's pray to the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you that you call us to be humble. You are humble in spirit, Lord Jesus. And you said that we must learn of you for you are meek. And you are humble of heart. Teach us to be humble like you. Take away every expression of pride from our hearts. We don't want you to stand in opposition to us. Even now, Father, we repent internally of every expression of pride that we've consciously or subconsciously have entertained. We are sorry. We ask forgive us of the intent of our heart. Train us. Teach us to be humble before you. And we know that great grace will start to attend us. Now, Father, I ask for the corporate community, the corporate house, 
us as a people will be a lowly and a humble people before you. I pray like you've prophesied in the book of Zephaniah that you will extract the, the haughty. You will extract the proud heart from the midst of us until you have a lowly people. A people of humble hearts in whom they might find refuge in the name of the Lord. We thank you for this. I pray great grace even now will start to attend us. Greater grace, more grace because of our humility. We want to be among those that tremble at your word. We do tremble at your word. We respect your viewpoint on things. We will not do our own thing. We will always bow our hearts in reference to your word. We love your word. You said you will, you will dwell with the man who is humble and lowly of heart and who trembles at your word. We reverence you. High respect for your take on things. And we're willing to displace our opinions to accept your, your principles, Father. So even now, may great grace and peace attend every single one, I pray. Full every home, full every person, full every context. Those of us who are business people, full every business context with a spirit of humility in which you can come and find an expression of grace from your hand to them. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.